Welcome to the UFTA Podcast. Hosted by Emily O'Connor and Jordan Rudolph. The UFTA Podcast brings you a surprisingly fresh take on everyday topics in health, fitness, and everything in between. We want to open the door to explore new information and new solutions in a way that's easy for you to understand and apply to your own life. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the UFTA podcast. We have officially reached double digits. We are on episode 10 of the UFTA podcast, and we've got a doozy of an episode today covering everything from hormone stuff, which is totally out of our spectrum. So we're just going to tell you some very informative based things uh, coming back into the core and then talking about low calorie diets. Emily is joining me today as always. Coach Coach extraordinaire Emily O'Connor. Emily, uh, what are your thoughts on today's episodes? I am extremely excited for today's episode. I think we have a little bit of a variety, but also kind of the interconnected topics. So some of the things we'll relate, we'll be able to kind of refer back to kind of rounding out some of our ideas as we go, uh, because we all know that we both like to talk for a while. Um, so I think this allows to do that, but I think there's be some really nice actionable takeaways and things to pay attention to. Not that our other episodes don't, but I think this one in particular may lend itself to bookmarking and time stamping some things for you to refer back to. So kind of be mindful of that if you are listening in a space where you can jot down some notes, uh, have that pen and paper ready if you're in the car or out on a walk, uh, as I normally listen to podcasts, being mindful of that might be a time to uh, revisit this one for another list when you get back. So overall, I'm excited for what we have on deck. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of good stuff, as always, that, that really ties in. I think the cool thing about this episode is we're tying in, one, there's there's a lot of unknowns, right? With Especially with the female hormone stuff, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that we don't know, and there's a lot of stuff that's, frankly, not researched efficiently because researching females because of their hormones is hard and expensive. So it's just easier to pick males or easier mm-hmm. to pick, pick uh, females who are maybe... Uh, at a certain age where they don't really have to worry about menstrual cycles and everything else like that. Um, there's some core stuff, which is always a good contradictory topic in the fitness world um, and how to train the core. And then there's uh, one of the, I think could be one of the best topics we've brought up is the low calorie diet stuff mm-hmm. and and hopefully opening up your guys' eyes to and ears in this case to... Uh, how detrimental that can actually be to your long-term health and what we are seeing uh, right now I think because of all of the low calorie stuff going on out there um, but it, it, it should be it should be a pretty intense uh, episode I think yeah. on that end too. I think intense is a good way to <laughs> yeah. describe it yeah um, so this is this is gonna be a good one um, anything else any, anything else going on in your life anything else you want to share with anybody anything of that sort that is going on? What's new? Did you, did you set a date yet? <laughs> Still, every no. week I'm gonna have to get it to you. Still no date for the wedding yet. No, uh, we need to figure out how many people are coming to this wedding first, so that we can then find a place to have said wedding uh, that will fit the amount of people that we have, uh, and then going from there. So no, no, still no, no wedding date. Um, but yeah, pretty much nothing, nothing else crazy happening. Pretty, pretty normal. Just working here and 
enjoying the hopefully warmer weather as it continues to stop raining and warm up yeah, what about yourself eventually you had your first golf tournament over the weekend first golf tournament over the weekend it, it did not go as planned um had a good mindset going into it had a good feel going into it struck the ball very very well until i got about 50 yards in and then i really tanked um so a very weird game of golf uh for me um but uh still happy to be there still had fun as always um, I, all I wanted to do after shooting that poorly, like like I shot an 87 at Jurgens off the white tees, um, and I had 37 putts, not counting my three that were on the fringe, and I seven putted, or three putted seven times, would have been nine times if I count those on the fringe, seven lip outs, right, like just a nightmare on the green. Um, the things that I'm working on on my swing are helping me out a lot, uh, in some cases too much, so it's hard to be mad at thinking that you're taking like a half swing 50 yard shot and you hit a wedge shot 80 yards that's as pure as it can get but unfortunately 30 yards over the green is in the woods um right or out of bounds <laughs> um but i'm close i'm close to i think getting a, a really polished up game um all i wanted to do golfing afterwards was golf more because of how good i felt uh, and I know I can shoot better at Drugans because I've shot 74 and 75 there. And last year on my bachelor party with one of the worst hangovers of my life, I shot a 78. <laughs> so um, I know it can be done and I know I'm more capable, especially in that golf course where I have like my three lowest scores. Uh, so a little disappointing on that end, but like I said, still fun. Still very happy to continue to work on the game and, and always get there. It's, it was an interesting interesting topic there's a guy that i golfed with out there who is probably close to moving up into the championship flight but he doesn't want to play there because he he will play against the college kids and the kids that are good and i'm like well it's not like you won anyway like right and then and then a guy and i who i just met was a he's actually a therapy uh therapist um and a mental coach a mental health coach and we're both sitting there talking to him and he's like yeah i gotta stop shooting so low because i'll get moved up I'm like, so are you trying to win each week? Well, I mean, yeah, it's nice if I do it. I'm like, okay. Like, so why wouldn't you want to go to the, like, the best flight out there? He goes, well, then I have to play against the college boys. I'm like, who cares? Like, you're playing better golf. Like, if you're better, play better. Yeah. And this other guy and I are looking at each other like, we would kill to just go out and shoot a 75. Right. Like, on a given notice. Like, to have the game and, and that and have it tightened up that much and play that well, like, that would be an awesome thing to have. And then there's some people out there who just, they, they, they want it up to an extent. And then there's like this weird part comes in where like they, they, they start having these conversations with themselves that, that are kind of holding them back. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he's afraid to go low, afraid to shoot lower because uh, he knows what could happen in terms of his stature, his handicap, and where he'd be placed. But like at the end of the day, that would be my last worry. Like I would love to say I'm in the championship flight competing against a guy that played with the Badgers, a guy that's playing... Right? right? Like, I'm right. in. I'm yeah. in for that. Compete against the best people. Yeah. Even if, you know, who knows what will happen. But. Yeah. And and right now, I'm not mad about being in the first flight. I wouldn't be mad about being in the second flight. I'm happy to play. Like, if I win, cool. I just want to shoot what I think I'm capable of. Right? Right. Like, and if I'm capable to go, like, 72, 75 on a given notice, I'm in. Yeah. Like, tell me how to get there. Right. Right? So it's just interesting to see that because I think we see that in health and fitness sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. Um you know, where people almost get in their own way. I think you yeah. and I have actually got asked that in our previous podcast when we were doing the live show on Facebook. Somebody asked uh, both of us as a Q&A day, um, which we should bring back and maybe try we this should. on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a future idea. Um, so we'll talk about that at the end of the show. 
but um, they they asked us what they asked Emily and I what the most frustrating thing was as us being a coach, and we both answered it as seeing people get in their own way. Mm-hmm. Both of us said that yeah. we didn't know the question prior to that was asked say independently. Yeah, <laughs> that was asked like on the spot. We read it and we're like, oh, and then we said it and we both said it. So it's just interesting how we as humans can do that to ourselves and we get in our own way and we get tunnel visioned and we start not hearing certain things and and uh the opportunities slip away for certain things and moments right we miss our moments and Mm -hmm. um it buries us a little bit so it's just interesting to hear all that yeah yeah it's interesting to think about i think like you said we see that a lot of times in the health and fitness space in terms of people being we kind of talked about comfort zones a couple episodes ago where people are comfortable and they're like, no, I'm good here. Like, I'm good in, in first flight. I'm good where I'm at. But you never know what could happen if you kind of broke out of that. And same goes for stepping up a weight at the gym and, or trying a new exercise you've never done before, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, interesting to think about. It is. It is. I'm here in, in, in a golfing term, that's a sandbagger, right? That's 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 that, that term is a sandbagger, a person who purposely... Uh, fudges their scores or purposely uh, shoots poorly or reports a false score to keep them from playing better. And I don't under, like, A, I think those people are poop heads, right? But B, like in my mind, if I'm playing that well, like I would kill to be able to say I'm a five handicap, right? Mm-hmm. I was a seven and I was on cloud nine and now I'm like an 11. Mm-hmm. Um, take lessons, get worse. Go figure. Um, <laughs> long-term gain. Yeah, long-term, long-term gain. gain. <laughs> um but the uh, the get get lessons, new clubs, and I'm four strokes worse per round. Uh, but like I would kill to get back to that and say that I'm that good. And these guys are missing purposely like two foot putts just so they can report a worse score so mm-hmm. that they don't get put into this category. Like there's, yeah, it's a weird it's a weird contradictory thing. And, we, it and is. again, we do that in here too. Like oh, I don't want to go five pounds heavier because they're going to make me right. I don't do want to say it's easy. I don't want to say it's easy. Yeah, because yeah. I. But like, yeah, he's a perfect example right there. I don't want to say this is easy because I know they're going to make it harder for me. Well, like, that's what you're ready for. Like, yeah. It is called resistance training. Right. And the body adapted. Right. Like, we need to create the strength stimulus, the more mm-hmm. resistance, right? It's just, it's fascinating. Um, why don't we just roll that right into the core training stuff, yeah. right? So how to train the core, how when to train, to train the when core. When to train the core specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you take it off from there? Yeah. Um, I think this can be... I know like when I first started in fitness, I was very much a bodybuilding kind of intro into fitness. And for whatever reason, every workout always ended with abs. Like you finished your workout, you trained your abs at the end. And I think when that re started to reframe for me and we started flipping that, like what if we trained the core in the beginning? Because when we think of the core, The core is the base for all other movement. It's the trunk, it's the stability from which everything else we move comes from the core, right? Or the core is involved in all of it. So when we flip that kind of mindset and we think, what if we did it at the beginning? Core training not only then takes the place of, sure, strength training, right? We need to build a strong core as with other exercises, but we can also look at it in terms of injury prevention, execution of a strength or a power movement in terms of getting the most out of that exercise, making sure we don't have a leak somewhere in the exercise, especially when we're talking in terms of power, the ability to efficiently transfer power 
uh, from lower body to upper body. Uh, all those sorts of things kind of come in when we think of core training. So when we're thinking about when do we do this, right? When is the most optimal time? Would that, to challenge my personal former thinking, would that optimal time be at the end when I'm already fatigued, I've already done all of my heavy lifts for the day, or would that be more towards the beginning when I can not only use it as a strength training, but I can get those other benefits as well in terms of improving all of the other lifts I have for the day. So when we think about when to train the core, typically here at Unity, we'll do our ramp, which we've talked about as our warm up, range motion, activation, movement, preparation, kind of getting that body ready to go, moving efficiently, effectively, etc. And then that first thing we do after that is that core training, or at least our first intro into core training. We might throw it in later as well, but when we're thinking in terms of getting the most bang for the buck out of the core, here at Unity, we throw that in first thing right off the bat. In terms of how you would program a training session from a high-level programmer standpoint, the stuff that's in the beginning of the workout takes more priority. So core training, typically how we have it here, uh, is is higher in the workout. So therefore, it has more priority. We know for all of the things that Emily just said that we would have a better response out of everybody uh, in terms of their training and have a much more uh, less likelihood of injury prevention if we prioritize core before we like we'll we'll do our ramp which we talked about I think was it just last episode episode nine it might episode be eight? La- I was trying to remember which one it was I think that it was the proper warm up I think it was yeah. last episode I think it just came out right so I think so um, episode nine was how to proper warm up we talked about our warm up in there literally as soon as we're done with the warm up we go to core and and that's to polish up like everything else that we need in the body to uh, basically function on a high level and make sure that activation the stabilizers everything's working. We actually train core as a movement as well. So there's there's four separate movements that we train the core as. There's the anti-extension, which would be like a plank, so not letting your spine extend forward and have a bend. We want to keep it neutral. We have an anti-rotation, um, so not letting your body rotate. We have an anti-lateral flexion, so basically a side plank, not letting your body bend over to the side and resist that movement. And then I guess we could say, what's the fourth one? Is it rotation? Am I uh, missing one? What am I missing? Rotary flexion. stability. Rotary stability. Rotary and flexion. Stability. Yeah, so I mean there's, there's multiple more, movements. But... There's flexion. There's flexion of the spine, which would be like a sit-up. So can we actually do like a sit-up appropriately, or can we do some sort of exercise that kind of flexes the spine and, and sustains that through time isolation? There's lateral flexion. There is extension, and then there is rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, and then rotary stability would be the one that kind of encompasses a uh, rotary stability is a little bit more complex it kind of incorporates multiple different planes of motion can you kind of work on your opposite side opposites and extremities like your right arm and left leg Mm -hmm. stability and and, and coordination it's a neuromuscular thing more than anything else for the most part but there's several different movement categories that core falls into it's not just doing these sit-ups right and i think you not acknowledged when you first joined the fitness industry or got into fitness Mm-hmm. You and I were both the same way. We trained like a bodybuilder. Yeah. And abs were always at the end. Yep. Abs were always, always at the end. And we didn't train movements, guys. We trained the abs. Abs. Right? Yeah. Not it core. Was, it was abs. Yeah. It was butterfly flutter kicks. It was sit-ups. It was plank. It was uh, toe touches. 
right? Mm-hmm. It was it was all these little things, bicycles. I remember yeah. doing bicycles a lot. V-sets. So many bicycles. Yeah. Russian so, twists. Russian twists all day. So many. <laughs> right. So so those were at the end of like every workout, right? And they're for twenty reps, thirty reps, whatever they are. There's like you stack them all in a row, one to two sets, whatever it is. And that was how we trained quote unquote abs. Where when we learn more about functional movement, which is something that we essentially do here, we 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 would be considered more of like a functional movement training facility. The uh, core has its own designated movements that we then train to kind of think of the core. And in this case, we think of the core as a can, like a canister or a can. Think of it like a soda can, pop can, beer can. Think of it like a can of corn, right? But the core is a can. It's 360 degrees. It's got a top. It's got a bottom. We have to train all of that stuff. We don't do as much work probably with the pelvic floor specifically. Um, probably something that we should learn more about uh, specifically in the future to help on that end. But we know enough to be very dangerous. We know enough to acknowledge it. But when we need to hire a specialist, outsource a specialist with us, we, we know who to go to as well, which makes our job easier on that end. But the core is like a canister, right? 360 degrees, top down, all the way around. And we need to train it as such. And we just think about your core, like Emily was saying with those leaks, if your can's got a dent, the can be, can be crushed. If your can's got a hole, whatever's inside is coming out. So we have to find those holes, we have to find those dents, and we have to re-solidify that canister to incorporate that. And again, priorities in an exercise program from a, from a very good programmer, the most important things will be first, cores, cores right, after, right after the warm-up. For sure. And I think it's important what you said there about reframing, like, are we training the core or are we training abs, right? Like, we definitely can throw in core movements, and I would argue that we don't really train abs. We're always really training the core specifically um, when we think of where we place these movements. So we do sometimes throw them in. But like you're talking about in priority of exercises, we always have it first. That kind of sets that foundation. And maybe you want a little bit of extra core work. You're, you know, big. We I know we do this a lot with our golfers, with our triathletes, runners. We throw in that little extra core work, kind of that cherry on top, if you will, at the end as a finisher. But we also have it in the beginning. So kind of knowing like we always set the stage with it. And if we need or want more, kind of depending on individual goals, there's that opportunity for that as well. Um, But recognizing that it's always the core, like Jordan was talking about, we always are training kind of all sides of that can instead of only sit-ups, crunches, only flexing forward. We need to be able to anti-rotate or resist rotation, flexion, extension, in addition to the ability to control those movements when we do have to actually rotate, flex, extend, etc. All of those things add up to how we train it. And like Emily said, we put it into into the like strength training blocks and like at the end of workouts as well, just to continue to give us something to train and work on. Because at the same time, if we put something at the end of a workout, whether it is right at the end, which we do with some of our athletes, or if it's towards the end, they're doing things in their sport that requires their core to be able to still work at the end of their game in the fourth quarter on the 16th hole uh, on the last mile right so we sometimes as programmers can also be tricky and we can put these core things at the end when this person's tired and we know they're fatigued 
we then purposely plug things in to that to test their fatigue and mm-hmm. train it, right? And we wouldn't go maybe as heavy or as intense as we would if it were in the beginning, but we're still training it. We can go for more of an endurance thing. Instead of a 30-yard farmer carry, maybe we're doing a 60, right? There's there's different aspects that we can do it, but we're at the end of the day, we're, we're always training the core, like the old adage, and I'm sure Emily will, will attest to this too, when, when, when I first got into the industry, you just need to do heavy back squats and heavy heavy deadlifts and that'll train your core enough. Well, that's the farthest thing from the, the thing that train, there's two exercises that um, train the core the most in terms of uh, like an electromagnetic gram, whatever, electrogram, whatever I'm trying to look for there, the stimulus, right? It'll show the muscle activation. A plank is still near the top, if not the top for total core. And a push up is number two, yeah. right? And a push up is nothing more than a moving plank. So a lot of times we can be sneaky with this as programmers and we can put push-ups at the end of a workout and do a specific type of push-up. Again, we know that there's a heavy core response to that, but we're actually working on the upper body. Right. So there's, there's a ton of different ways to do it, but we prioritize it in the beginning. In theory, we're working on it all the way through because we want mm-hmm. you to make sure your core, like Emily was saying, it's your trunk, it's your, it's your stability, it's how your body's going to uh, produce and transfer force and also prevent injury. But we prioritize it in the beginning so that we can polish it up. And then we, we usually split up to the different types of movement patterns we mentioned earlier to make sure that we're covering the entire can. Yep. I don't know that I have anything else to add to that. It was a pretty, not that any of our segments are either short, but yeah, I think it's I mean, pretty it's succinct, right? Like, yeah. This is, uh, this is how we do it. This is I think the, the big things thing, to think about when you do it. Yeah, I think the big thing is you don't need like four, five, six sets of core, right? Two or three, maybe four, should get you enough what you need with enough a good variety. Um, and just give yourself some time and attention. You don't need to make things str- like strength-based with core. Mm-hmm. We need them to make sure it's mm-hmm. functioning correctly. We don't need to try and see how strong we can be through a core if you're doing something like with an implement. We just need your core to do the right things and be, be in the right way, right? Yeah, we don't have to PR an anti-rotation yes, press. We just you. have to be able to not rotate against the force that you have or rotate equivalently the opposite direction correct correct and i think now we can say we can move on i yeah. wanted to make sure i got that out too <laughs> that's a good that was a good good addition um moving into our nutrition topic for today i know you're really excited about it but long-term setbacks of a low calorie diet do you want to kick it off so let's go first into what calories are perfect right Love calorie it. calories are energy yep right our body needs calories mm-hmm. aka energy to sustain whatever it is that we want to do on a daily basis right we burn off energy just being us we are burning calories right here yep sitting, sitting. talking yep yeah so we're always burning energy right there's things that can help us burn, burn more energy and in theory then if we burn let's just make it easy if we burn 2,000 calories a day of just being you and I in theory, if I eat only 1,000 calories a day, I should have a 1,000 calorie deficit, which therefore should help me lose weight. Correct. In theory. In theory. Logically, it makes total sense. In theory, it makes total sense. But what happens is your body will actually drop its metabolism down to match that 1,000 calories, and it'll actually learn how to preserve. It'll start shutting things down and having things not work as functionally to make sure that it can kind of focus on that thousand calories because it is so underfed and it is so undernourished and so underfueled, it would rather match 
the fuel coming in than try to actually burn off those thousand calories a day that we're not consuming. This is why people that do long-term calorie or long ca low calorie um, plans or deficits for a long term end up struggling and all of a sudden hit this halt where they start gaining fat or they don't get any more results and they feel like poop, they sleep like crap, they're on a pot of coffee a day. Mm -hmm. Metabolically, physiologically, mm -hmm. several different things come into play in this and a lot of them result in hormone stuff, adrenals, uh, metabolism, gut health, like the list is endless. But this is also a topic that there's not a lot of research out there because a lot of these low calorie, super low calorie, all these quote unquote sciency based diets um, are still very new, only around like the last 10, 15, 20 years, which like there's research that we need like 30, 40, 50 years ago that we're just now getting results on because of how they were doing stuff, right? So um, the big thing I want to understand, and we can kind of cover this and kind of go where we need to go with this, mm -hmm. is understanding that food is fuel and the body operates and responds to fuel we don't run our cars on empty mm -hmm. right we, we will go fill up our gas and, and then run them to the ground but what happens in these low calorie diets is people are running themselves to the ground yeah and in the same token they then don't understand sometimes or we don't understand why we feel like trash all the time and it's as if your car was running on, you know, literal fumes, your car will stop, right? Your car will eventually stop. But as humans, we don't take the time to stop, to evaluate. We just keep pushing through because, quote unquote, this is just how it is. This is how I feel, right? We don't sometimes realize how bad we can feel from that low calorie continued diet. Um until we don't feel that way anymore and sometimes it does take that outside perspective to say like why are you not eating enough for what you're doing like you might not even know and that's where a coach can be really important um, or just a third party outside perspective can be really important to say like you don't really eat too much or you know what what are you eating throughout the day right like or have you eaten I know during a round of golf, like, have you eaten while you do things? Um, and kind of being mindful of that as well. Here's the tricky thing that happens when a person goes through that phase is what, what, are, the, what are the people that eat low calorie for a long term? What do they tell us? What, are, what is one of the main things? You'll, as soon as I say it, you're going to know. Yourself I'm, in the there's forehead. like a million things, but usually they're, usually they're, I, if I can guess where you're going with this, usually they're chasing some sort of weight loss yes. goal, right? Yes. So they're not hungry all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what they'll tell us. Like literally, Emily was right on it. They have people who are on these low calorie things and they're scared to eat food, scared to nourish their body and fuel their body to just even do the things metabolically that the body is meant to do day to day is, oh, I'm not hungry. Mm hmm. Their body has already got to a point where it starts to shut down and it starts to slow down and it starts to drop their metabolism and it gets to a point where then they are not hungry because their body is under total preservation of its own energy, which is, guess what's happening there, guys? It's storing fat cells. It is storing fat because that is the hardest thing to burn and is the thing that has the most calories. One gram of fat has nine calories. Your body knows that too. Mm -hmm. And guess what, ladies? We're going to talk about this in the in the hormone section in the in the main topic today. Unfortunately, for females, the hormones play a major role in this because females are uh, created 
to create, to sustain, and give life. So because even if you are in menopause, what the strong assumption and theory is on the experts in the world in this, and I'm in this category as you can tell, is that since the female body is designed to create and sustain and give life, the body will then react like it could do that. And it has to be ready to be able to do that. It has to be ready to become pregnant and give, uh, give birth to a child. So therefore, if the body were, if the woman were to become pregnant, the body needs to make sure it has enough energy to sustain that life and the female itself. The body is going through a protective mechanism to help that person, that, that female, uh, being able to uh, do that appropriately and, and not have that um, any troubles, right? So even if somebody's in menopause, this still happens. The hormones still function enough to get this to work. Also, what happens when you get older is our metabolism slows down. We'll talk about this in the, in the main topic today. But that's a major, major thing to understand from the female mm-hmm. side of things. But this happens with males too. It just looks different. Right. And the males will also hide it. They're, they'll stay busy and they won't acknowledge it. Right. Yeah, I think it's important to note that like just because you don't feel hungry doesn't mean you don't need to eat and to refuel your body. Like after after a big workout, after a long run, I know even personally, don't always feel super hungry, don't always feel like eating, but I know that's when my body needs the fuel the most. So having something like we have our recovery smoothies here at Unity, having something that you know, like I don't feel like eating, but I know my body needs the calories. And that's where some of those foods at, such as a smoothie can really come into play in terms of this is when our body needs to feel the most. If I'm not hungry after a workout, I still need to refuel from that workout, probably more importantly than many other times, if not all other times of the day. Um, even even if you're trying to lose fat, even if you're trying to lose fat, you should eat after a workout. There are people listening to this screaming at us right now saying, well, I didn't get to this position because I didn't I didn't eat enough food. I did not like food, right? We know that we gain weight because we ate too much food, right? Or we didn't mm-hmm. exercise enough. Like we know that you're in a position that you're in because of the way that you ate. Uh, a person doesn't get overweight or obese because they didn't like to eat, not like to eat, right? They, they, they like to eat. Right. What happens is when we got to lose weight and lose fat and try to get to this change physiologically is that the person becomes resistant or afraid to actually eat high quality food because of what the poor quality food has done to them in the past. We understand that. I want to make sure we're very clear on this. We have worked with literally thousands of people with this same thing. Emotionally, we understand where you're at when you say this. Logically, we have to start thinking differently because what you're doing is not working. And the long-term result of this, it looks even worse. It looks even worse if you look at the health records and see what's coming in terms of female hormones and male hormones as well. Testosterone dropping is now happening in the low 30s, and they think it'll be in the 20s in the next 10 to 15 years. That is scary. That is the inability to to, to make babies in the future. That is the the whole sci-fi movie genre of um, very specific topics of infertile, 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 infertile males, right? So infertility. So that is coming and they're thinking it's closer than what we ever thought because of all of the stuff going on outside of us with poor food, poor nourishment, poor self-care, technology. We can go all day on the reasons why, but 
a strong portion of it is our food qualities down and that is where everything like the building blocks of hormones are cholesterol that's healthy fats and to be able to have the hormones do the right things in the brain and neurotransmitters and all the things in the body to be doing the right way is to give it enough fuel and nourishment to do that and take care of ourselves that way it's not to deplete it it's not to keep it uh take it away right we're we're, we're again we're running the car without the gas so uh, it doesn't mean that we need to go and stay full all the time, but we need to learn how to manage it appropriately. There's bigger things long-term that are happening because of these low-calorie diets that are detrimental to our overall health than we ever could have have imagined. And it's simply be not because now people are afraid to eat food because of what food did to them. I think you made an important distinction there, or maybe just a clarification, where when we speak low-calorie, and we initially define calories as energy, right? But a low-calorie diet is often just less food. And when we have less food, we inherently then consume less nutrients. Those nutrients that our body needs, not just for the gym performance and those types of things, but the nutrients that we need for health. And regardless of if we are pursuing a weight loss goal or we want to stay the same weight, we want to gain muscle, right? Whatever the goal is we're pursuing, overall health is that top priority. And when we're eating less calories, we're consuming less nutrients, we have to be very mindful of where our food is coming from so that we have enough nutrients to sustain health. We can't decrease calories, decrease nutrients, and do it without thought of overall health. And that's where eating enough food, even if we're in a calorie deficit, we can't go oftentimes kind of thinking on terms of like too much food got us to where we are, zero food will get me to where I want to be, right? In extreme opposite ends of the spectrum, we have to be able to find that middle ground where we eat enough, we can still achieve goals of fat loss, etc., but we do it with the overall top priority goal of being healthy, maintaining living long, right? Maintaining quality of life, all of those sorts of things play a more important role than simply a number on a scale, even if you don't feel like that, just listening to me say that initially, if it's the end-all, be-all number on the scale, perhaps taking a step back and recognizing that even if you stepped on the scale tomorrow, you look the exact same as you do right now, but the number was the number you want to see, would we be happy with that, right? So then maybe it's not the number on the scale, maybe it's something else, and diving into that and being able to fuel our bodies appropriately for that is vitally important. Everyone stop what you're doing right now. Hit the 30-second rewind button like six times and re-listen to that three minutes again. Seriously, like stop what you're doing and re-listen to that because that is, that is in the nutshell of what this whole sec- segment is about. One thing that Emily got me, two things Emily got me thinking about there is we think about all of the things that we can use supplements for. Right? We think, we think what, what can we use supplements for to help us fill the gaps of the nutrition that we can't do with food alone. We think about all the things that we're struggling on a health side of things that we're lacking from nutrition and lacking that we need supplements for, like iron, magnesium, protein, um, calcium. We can, we can go on and on, right? Vitamin D, more of the sun, but still. We think about all those things. If we're eating too little, if we're undernourishing, well, of course we're going to need those more. Like we're almost doing this to ourselves by not eating enough, mm-hmm. right? Where then it's going to make us have to have these supplements and make us do that. So now we're just undernourishing ourselves and undernourishing of how our body needs to just normally function. The homeostasis path has changed. 
The other thing that you got me thinking about there is when we say low calorie, we might have we, we might have we should have probably referenced it as a very low calorie. Correct. To be to be a little bit more specific on our end too. Because this is where I get into trouble as well. Like I view low calorie and very low calorie as like two of the same, almost the same thing now. Mm-hmm. Used to be separate. Now it's the same for me. But you might still view them differently. So in your mind, when we say low calorie, like what would be a general low calorie for any human being out there? What would be a general low calorie diet? Uh, like you want like minimum? a number of calories? Like what's the minimum would you say would be like a low calorie diet that you would go? Oh gosh. Like if you could like have that control. I would say like no one should eat less than this number yes. is what you're asking. Yes. Mm. there's going to be an asterisk next to this because I know it's not for everyone, but I would say, like, the majority of people should not be eating less than, say, 1,500 to 1,600 calories, probably. So I was going to say the low end of mine would be 12 to 1,500. Yeah. 12's on the edge of what I would consider a very low. Yeah. Right? Anything below 1,000 is, of course, what would be considered a, quote-unquote, very low-calorie diet. But I would say anything under 1,200 would be on that board for me, mm-hmm. right? So 1,200 is almost the minimum that I want. But if a female comes in here, we have females that are, that are, let's let's take, we have, there's five or six females that can walk through our door right now, yep. age 55, 50, 55, 60, uh, incredible woman, right? Incredible. Uh, they, 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 they train hard, they eat well, they sleep well, they do all these good things. They're a buck 20, mm-hmm. right? Buck 20 soaking wet. If they want to go through a fat loss diet, we would take that 120 pounds and we basically times that by 10. That would be like the minimum amount of calories that we'd like them to eat. That is 1,200 calories for just easy math, right? So therefore, I don't really want to go below that, but if we do, it might just be taking another one of their body weights out of that, which would make it 1,080 calories. That is the absolute minimum, Mm -hmm. right? But if we look at how much muscle they have according to their body and what their basal metabolic rate is, their BMR, it's going to tell us it's more than that. Right. That actually becomes more so the new minimum, which is probably closer to that 15, 1600 number. And this right. is like a person that's very lean and very uh, healthy, right? These are these. There, we have several females in here that are that are in this category. Mm-hmm. That would be someone that we could use an example, and we're still telling them to eat 15 or 1600 guys. That's my point here, yeah. right? That is a low calorie for them. That is a maintenance level low calorie for them. So. Anything below that level, like Emily was saying, and I'm on the board with it too, uh, is, is, is that's the range of calories that we're talking about this. And when we say long term, something that's probably done that you don't even recognize it's being happened and then you've been doing it for a long time, but it's something that's basically over like four or five, six weeks, like four to six weeks, if you've done that consistently, that's when it, that's when we start seeing a little bit of this trouble. That's when, that's when this stuff, the side effects, if you will, start to happen. Yeah, I think important distinction there. Obviously, there's there's cases either direction in terms of like if we had a very petite, small female come in, setting calories there, but recognizing that it is relative in terms of how many calories you can consume and based on so many different factors, uh, body size, activity level, muscle mass, lifestyle right like there's so many different factors training history diet history uh everything kind of comes into play here so when we're speaking in terms of how low is low calorie or very low calorie being mindful that that number might be different for you as well uh even from what we just kind of laid out with our our very low or our 
very lean, petite female example. Um, so when we think of that, looking at a low calorie diet and looking at a fat loss phase, regardless of what the number is, being mindful of structuring that phase to be more short term may be beneficial in terms of recognizing the health detriments that could come from following this for a long period of time and organizing that potential fat loss phase, not that we can't ever lose body fat or go into a calorie deficit, but the ability to recognize what those detriments might be, maybe when they might start to happen in a long term and structuring training and diet as such so that we take time out of that calorie deficit, bring those calories back up, refuel, replenish, all those good things, and then either go back into it, right? Kind of approach, we talked about this a little bit in our periodized uh, approach to training and fitness, but also with nutrition as well, where we can periodize these approaches, making sure that we're not doing one thing for too long. We're really maximizing each phase to get the most out of it that we can. If we take a little bit of what we talked about earlier in the scenario that I said, if you if you eat, if, if you're a person that burns or goes through 2,000 calories a day based on everything, and we eat a 1,000 calorie diet, that's 1,000 calories of a difference, of a deficit, right? That's too big of a deficit. So what happens then is that a person will try to watch what they eat and naturally, so let's just go through a quick scenario. I'm a person who wants to lose weight. Uh, typically what would happen is I start watching what I eat or I look up some fancy smancy word diet thing. Because I'm just being more mindful of what I put in my mouth hole, I will probably be more aware of the crap that I was putting in my mouth hole prior to me being more mindful, which therefore is probably going to help me lose some weight and feel better right off the bat because that is just what diets do. That's what focus does. That is what challenges do. But then when I stop getting those initial results, I will probably think in logic terms, I should eat less. Mm -hmm. So then I will eat less and I will eat less. What also happens is maybe I should start walking more. Maybe I should get a membership to a gym. Maybe I should start, start trying to do that strength training stuff. So I'll also start trying to do more. I will start working out. I will start exercising more. I will start burning more calories. So now I'm at a, per, I'm at a point where I was starting at 2000 calories a day was my theoretical spot where now I'm eating 1,000 calories because I was, you know, I started at 1,600, then 1,400. Now I'm at approximately 1,000 calories a day. And now I'm actually burning closer to 25, 26, 2,700 calories a day because of my exercise. So not only did I drop my food down another notch to go 1,000 less before my starting point, but I've added in activity and exercise, which now increased my overall daily calorie burn to like 25, 26, 2,700. So I created another 700 calories worth of difference. That's a 1,700 calorie worth of difference now, which is too much for your body to overcome to try and burn fat. The goal is to try to stay about 250 to 500 below. But if you add more activity and you start doing more, specifically strength training, because the people who are doing an hour of cardio every day are still the ones that are holding on to this fat because they are in this exact scenario that we're referring to right now. Their body is in fat storage mode. They are burning too much and not eating enough. If you focus on something that's more metabolic, like strength training, your body will learn that it actually needs more of this nourishment and this fuel to sustain that type of lifestyle and activity to help it feel better, 
which will then help you kind of boost your metabolism naturally that way because it is a metabolic response, not a draining response. We're not trying to burn calories. We happen to do that when we strength train, but we're trying to build. We're trying to create a metabolic response. That's a very key word I'm looking for there. That's why I'm pushing it. So if we do more, we can eat more. If we do less, we eat less. That's kind of the adage of, of how we follow this. It's not do more and eat less, okay? That is typically what people go into this trouble when they create this problem. So we have to find the right balance. That's a little bit different for everybody. What worked for your best friend, what worked for your mom, what worked for your significant other will not always work for you. Your body is different. Your body has a different history. Your body has a different background. Your body has a different response. Your body has different properties than somebody else's. But ultimately we know is that a low calorie diet, a a calorie deficit is what's needed to help you burn fat. What's hard to know is how much that is needed. That's, Mm -hmm. That's the tricky part. But we need to be in a caloric deficit in order for our body to burn. There's no question about that. It's just a matter of how much. But we know that too much is not the answer either. Correct. I think that about sums it up in terms of what to watch out for, kind of the dangers of being in that calorie dot or that calorie deficit, super low calorie deficit for too long, um, and a little bit on how to potentially offset that. Yeah. Ready to dive into uh, female exercise and hormones? I'm ready. You want to start this one off too? I can. (laughs) This This is a topic that I first started learning more and more about and was honestly, quite frankly, too scared to talk about it. It was something that was, so here, twofold. One, why is a personal trainer understanding hormones? Why is a personal trainer trying to understand hormones? Why is a fitness coach trying to learn about hormones? Well, because we deal with females and a majority of our basis, and that's who primarily I have found myself working with since I've been in this industry for 10 years. So I feel like if I can know more, I can have better conversations with them, understand them better, and have better conversations with their doctor or medical provider when that point comes to it. So from a person that's worked with thousands of people and probably having 75 to 80% of them be females, I should probably know a thing or two about hormones since I am a freaking male. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Makes sense when you come at it from that end. So quit, quit jumping at me, people. But I still felt... Uh, insecure and not confident to bring this up. This stuff was very new to me as well. Um, it scared me a little bit, right? Because I didn't know how to approach it. I still don't, but we're getting better at it. And this is why we're doing a podcast. Help me build my confidence. So three or four years ago, I met Janet Alexander. Started learning from her, who's a phenomenal triathlete, triathlon, uh, iron, iron woman. She trains female golfers, uh, juniors, PGAs, everything in between. She took it on herself as a female to better understand females as, as a whole and really dove into the topic of the female athlete and in response to hormones. And she started studying and she started reaching out to doctors and started reaching out to these people to try and help us better understand as fitness professionals how she can help us more by using them with also stuff that's in our scope of practice. So what we focus on then is the information and we help our athletes, our client, our member make better decisions based on that. That was about three years ago where I got really intense with this and I still got too scared. I showed some stuff to Emily and Mandy. I showed some stuff to some different people, but still the research wasn't there for me to support it. Fast forward three and a half years, spent the weekend on a TPI, got to meet Janet again, full day, go through everything. 
Well, guess what? The research is true. The research is held. There's new research out there that supports. There's further research being done. But the reason why it's not done enough is because it's expensive because of the, there's so much of the different changes and fluctuations in hormones where it makes it very, very hard to have variables in an experiment that is, it's, it's hard to track. It's hard to actually get reliable results that way, which is why there's not a lot done. But here we are now talking about this in a podcast. And before I go any further, I want to make sure that if you are in the lacrosse area on June 21st and 28th this year, 2022, 7 p.m. at Unity Fitness, we are hosting two free events, a part one and part two, a two-part series on female hormones. It's called Strong Her, Leveraging Your Hormones to Create Optimal Results. And we are talking about this type of stuff more in depth, and we will have local professionals in here to help us out in certain areas too. But we're going to have a similar conversation in those and, and help people understand a little bit better. Today's kind of the overview of everything, but we're going to dive in more and more. But anyways, three and a half years later, this research is held. There's more research out there that supports. There's more research out there that shows that the research was true, and it's a real thing, and we need to start having better conversations to help out our females and help out our, our uh, future memberships and, and our athletes and everything in between. And that's what we're kind of doing on this point here. Agreed. Yeah, just set, give it a nice overview. Yeah, setting the table for Emily to kind of take over because she is now learning the same stuff that I've learned, mm-hmm. and she's going through it, and she's a female. So maybe it's a little bit more cred to hear from her. <laughs> but the, the, the quote is that's out there, it's been out there for years, is Mandy, my wife, saying, I don't understand, quote unquote, I don't understand how Jordan knows more about how my body works and he's a male, end quote, right? That, that was the thing that I really understood, like, oh, I'm doing my job right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm doing something that's bigger than, than I ever thought was, was me. And I, and I wanted to know more because I wanted to learn how to help people because we have females in here that are 16 years old. We have females in here that are 25 and 30. We have females in here that just had a baby and are about to have a baby and get pregnant. We have females in here that are uh, in middle of adult life, premenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal. Mm-hmm. We have everything in between. So we better know how to work with those people. Yeah, I think, obviously, like Jordan said, I am a female. I do uh, have a menstrual cycle, so can speak from a little bit more personal experience. Um, when he first told me about this three years ago, it was like right after I first started here, and he said... He talked about the types of females and how females respond differently during different types of the month. And I was like, this is the first time I'm hearing of this. And I was, you know, 20, gosh, what am I, 28 now? I was like 25, 26. And I was like, this is the first I'm hearing of this. How, like, first of all, I probably had the same reaction as many of you. And I was like, why is this coming from Jordan? Why has no health teacher female professional been able to tell me this and I was like I must learn more so uh that's when I started seriously kind of tracking my cycle and recognizing when do I feel good when do I feel bad and it started to kind of open up this like knowledge for me where I now know why I feel a certain way right it was very empowering instead of saying like oh like this just happens I feel like garbage I knew when I would feel like garbage because I had years of data to say, oh, this is when I won't feel great. This is how I can respond. This is how I can not only in, you know, a life perspective, but in a training perspective as well. Like, oh, this is why my normal 
135 feels like it's 700 pounds today. So it started to kind of open up those doors and I'm excited now to have that research also to back it up to know that like, oh, it's not like just helpful for me, but that we can bring it to you guys as well in terms of understanding kind of the menstrual cycle, factors it plays, and the control that you have over it as well uh, from like the lifestyle factors in terms of diet, sleep, uh, recovery, all of those types of things as well. Like you have influence over this just as much as it influences the rest of your life and training. So I think it's important to kind of frame that and know that whether this is the first time you're hearing about the menstrual cycle or you're familiar with it, but you don't really know, right? Like it's okay not to know, but it's not something that has to control you. You have control over it and control over your actions during each of the phases of the month um, as, as much as it influences you. This is amplified and created creates a much more of a problematic thing when a female is undernourished or underfed or underfueled. <laughs> this only amplifies everything that we're kind of alluding to here. And it's hard for us to go over it on a podcast to show you in detail of what we want you to see, which is why, excuse me, which is why the seminars are going to be nice because we have visuals. But basically when you go through a different times of your menstrual cycle each month, there's different changes that happen in the body hormonally that the body then physically and mentally responds to. And some of them could actually boost your performance. Some of them could actually decrease and, and hamper your performance. And this could depend on what type of female you are, right? So there's different, there's different components of all of that too. So there's a lot of individualization that goes into this, which is why we're now talking about it on the podcast and hoping that every single female member in our gym listens to this. And then why we're also doing seminars to hopefully have every single female in our gym go to that, but also to help out all the other females out there because this is stuff that is not very well known, probably because people are in my scenario where why the hell would, why would the hell would a personal trainer, a male personal trainer be wanting to talk about this or know about this or help me with this? Like it's not them, it's not their, it's not their right. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, I tried contacting three years ago when this stuff first came out and I tried to pursue it a little bit more. I wanted to get more credibility to help me. Reached out to some local hospitals, endocrinologists, neurologists, neuroendocrinologists, which don't even exist in our area, unfortunately. And they didn't really want to take their time to talk to a personal trainer. They thought, why would you want to care about this? Why do you know about this? No, like you're just a personal trainer. It doesn't matter to you. They didn't want to help the person at the, at the, my, my sole focus for reaching out to them was to try to help our members. It wasn't for me. It was for our members, but they shut me down, which then in turn made me mad because then they shut our members down and they, they, they blocked me from learning more to help them. And the, and the only reason I learn more and try to learn more is because I'm a value, I'm a lifelong, uh, learner, right? I value knowledge, but I also value the stuff that I can do to help our members get results either faster, uh, more efficiently, more effectively. And I felt like they stood in the way of that. And then come to find out like the neurology department basically doesn't even talk to the endocrinology department and the endocrinology department doesn't even talk to the neurology department. And then neither of them seem to very have great communication with their primary doctors from people who we did try to do this with. So it was even more frustrating, right? So then it comes back to why don't we just do what we can do 
present the information, keep it within our scope, and not have to try to be an endocrinologist when we present this information, but just understanding more of what happens to the body, to the female, as it does happen. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we're at. And we know how to train differently for it. We know how to adjust. We know how to modify. We know how to make things better. We know what type of training to do, what type of strength training to do in terms of repetition and sets and weights and uh, intensities. We know what type of cardio. We know when to be careful. We know when to modify, like I said before, and and adjust to help the person succeed. Hmm. And that's kind of where we're at with the hormones and how they relate to the female. We can try to do what's on your chart there as best as possible and and in like an efficient form as possible. Right. But I'm going to let you kind of go through what you think we can get by maybe with... with, um, a podcast, Emily. Right. I'm talking to Emily guys right now. Um, <laughs> what you think we can get by with a podcast without the visual stuff? Right. Like obviously, I'd like you, I'd, everybody. I'd like you to see the menstrual cycles chart of what happens in an approximately 28 day notice. But that's the visual. Like we can't. Right. It's going to be hard for us to show you. But we can tell you what happens in like the first five to seven days. The next, the next probably nine nine days up to about day 15. What happens from day 15 to like 24, 25. Mm-hmm. And what happens after that? We can probably do a decent job of that and touch base with these guys. Yeah. Perfect. So when we think about the menstrual cycle, uh, average menstrual cycle is 28 days, right? So can range, right? It can be shorter. It can be longer. Typically, 28 is kind of like that average, right? But we've seen people can go 23, 24. They can be kind of on that shorter end. We can be on the longer end, closer to like a 35, right? So anywhere within that range. For this example, we're going to speak kind of in that 28-day average range. Think of it splitting into four, like Jordan just said, kind of sections, right? So menstrual cycle starts day one, first day of your period. So that's your bleeding phase, right? That's probably the most recognizable, especially if you're female. We know when this happens. During this phase, all of our hormones within the menstrual cycle, and this is where we're not going to really get into a ton of them um, because there are many different lines and charts and some go up and some go down, etc. But this is often when all of them are lowest throughout the phase. As we start progressing through, those tend to go up. Okay. In general, again, this is a very kind of simplified version. Bleeding ends, again, typically around that day five to day seven-ish. We get into kind of that next phase, the proliferative phase, if you will, where the body's preparing for ovulation. So we're preparing to release the egg if fertilization were to occur. This is during that ovulation period where the egg is released, okay? That's, again, kind of like Jordan was referencing, around that day 14, 15, 16, 17-ish, range of days, right? Now this is where everyone can be different, but again, speaking in terms of that 28 day cycle, this is where many of our hormones tend to peak. So we have higher levels of estrogen, progesterone, luteinizing hormone, etc., tend to start to come up during this phase. Following that, some of those tend to go down. So our estrogen comes back down our luteinizing hormone comes back down progesterone still raises for just a bit afterwards and then they all start to kind of come down together as we get back closer to that menstruation right so big takeaways overall takeaways certain times of the month our hormone levels are higher 
others are lower. So we as females have fluctuating hormone levels over the course of the month compared to males, which tend to just operate at a single single state uh, of their hormones, tend to be in a similar level all the way through months, days, years, etc. Over the course of your lifetime, you when we're speaking in decades and years, they can come up, come down. But overall, we do they do not have this monthly kind of fluctuation of hormones. As a result, when these hormones fluctuate, different things start to happen in the body. We were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier in terms of the low-calorie diet. During that ovulation, the body is preparing to have that egg fertilized. It doesn't know if that's going to happen or not. So our body is preparing as if it were to have a child. So we might see a little bit more laxity happening during that. And these might be things you notice, might be things you don't. But when we think of then this menstrual cycle in terms of training, knowing how the body is responding to these increasing and decreasing hormone levels becomes increasingly important to acknowledge during training so that we know what we need to change, how we need to change it, etc. This is the big stuff that's going to happen at Unity in the near future. We're going to end up having almost weekly modifications for a lot of our females because of this. But basically, the the real gist of that, if you're, if like Emily said, when the bleeding starts, that's the that's day one. And what happens in that phase is there's a lot of uncomfortableness, there's a lot of in, uh, uncomfortability, and there's a lot of inflammation. And again, depending on which type of female type you are, uh, if we go under uh, one of the doctor's recommendations of how he categorizes females. There's an E1, E2, and E3 type. Um, Dr. Uh, was it Weiss? Is that, is that his name? Weiss? Yes, um, Yuri, so. Yuri Weiss? Yes. Something like that? Or Yuri Reese. Yuri Reese. I know it's Yuri. Um, out of LA, he's wrote a couple books and done massive presentations, TED Talks, all this stuff. Anyway, uh, if you're a certain type in that bleeding phase, it can be very effective and very kind of uncomfortable. A lot of different things can happen, or you could have somebody who doesn't really, a female who doesn't really respond to it well at all. They don't care. It doesn't really affect them at all. They're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens, there's some inflammation. So core and hip uh, stability uh, can drop. They can feel worse in there. They might not be as strong through their core. Basically then through, that's week one, right? So if we arguably go through the next week, it's vice versa in terms of these female types where if the one that didn't feel good in week one will feel good in week two and the one that didn't feel good in week one or did feel good in week one will not feel good in week two. And that's when some different hormones start changing, estradiol, estrogen, and pre- uh, starts coming up. There's different stuff that happens. That's, but however, this is when, that's when you can train for heavy strength and try to build some muscle. That's almost a normal phase. That's almost when a female can really try to focus on heavier weights more intensity type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Ovulation phase, that middle part, that 14, 15, 16, 17-ish day range is when you are most prone to injury no matter what type of female type you are. This is when your joints are most lax and that means they have the most, they're, they're not able to stabilize. They are most easily, uh, they, they have the most laxity so they, they can um, shift easier, they can bend easier, uh, not good things when we need for high intensity performance, cutting, drills, you know, uh, soccer, sports, stuff like that, basketball, also for strength training, for stabilization. So having a, a, a different types of um, exercise modalities and positions and stances will help. Their balance is decreased. So this is a, a nice phase to work on different types of balance drills with lighter weights. 
Then they go through a next phase of a week where it's kind of back to normal again. Their internal body temperature raises. This is actually a really nice time to try to burn fat and work on some fat burning conditioning and some cardio work on that end. Moderate intensity is a, a usually a good rep range on this end. We don't want to really go heavy. We don't really want to go heavy at all uh, on this type of thing, the last half of the phase. Uh, we don't really want to train su something super high intensity as well, but again, we can still focus on fat loss, uh, and we want to kind of focus on uh, just a little bit more of accessory work with different types of things and, and utilize the body's overall movement mechanics and take advantage of this time that we have. Then the body, at the last week here, will go through uh, the different types of phases. If the body recognizes that there's no birth being made, no sperm contacts with the egg, and, and the body doesn't need to form uh, a child, and, and then, then it'll slough off and then start the bleeding again for the next month. So there's different parts of a menstrual cycle that happens. There's still pieces of this that exists in a menopausal type of state, um, just not as amplified. But again, one of the things that we want you to understand, because this could be a whole episode we could talk about menopause, is that as menopause happens, it's usually when the body's metabolically starting to decline, mm -hmm. right? And it's usually because of age. A lot of people want to attribute their menopausal to their stress and to their calorie and to their weight gain, but oftentimes the research is showing this too, it's just because we are getting older. And I know I'm, I'm hitting a nerve on some of those ladies listening when I say the word older, but this is when we need to prioritize three main things. You need to prioritize protein, you need to prioritize movement, you need to prioritize sleep. I would also like to say that's PMS for an abbreviation of that acronym, by the way. Um, I would also like to prioritize D, PMSD, de-stressing. De-stressing would be my fourth one on there. I would like to say PMSD for anything in that realm. So um, that's kind of a, a very brief overview of what we wanted to talk about on here and what the knowledge side of things that we have that's still mm -hmm. in our scope as quote-unquote personal trainers. Um, so hopefully this will be passed around to some endocrinologists, some neurologists, and maybe functional med doctors in the area that would like to be on the show and we can talk more because you can kind of even consider me talking about this right now as a call out to you to like we need to be doing better because our females are not. Um, we know more now so we should be able to be helping them more on a global scale rather than uh, only when they come in and need it when something's wrong. Uh, Emma, is there anything that you wanted to cover that I missed or anything that you want to touch base on uh, to this topic at all? Um, I think the biggest thing to recognize is that it is a very complex thing that happens. Obviously, we just did a very small overview, and like we mentioned at the jump, we're going to go over a little bit more in depth uh, on both the 21st and the 28th of this month. If you're local here at Unity, um, you can come in for those, but recognizing that it is very complex, and there is a lot of things that influence it. Like Jordan said, um, movement and uh, de-stressing and sleeping and protein are all things that can have a positive or negative influence on your cycle as a female. So like I mentioned earlier, there is an aspect of you are able to control many things um, and, and many things we might have to have, kind of speaking outside the scope, um, a alternative medical professional, a women's health provider, OBGYN, etc., functional med doctor, may be able to help a little bit more with. 
but recognizing that when you know these things, you're able to kind of take back some of that control. We're able to utilize this hormones cycle to our advantage instead of, you know, feeling like we are a victim or feeling like we're kind of at the mercy of it happening. Because while we can't stop it necessarily, uh, we can work within it to, like Jordan said, optimize those results both in the gym as well as our experience outside of the gym just in everyday life as well. So when we think of these things, having a positive or negative influence, we can have, you know, things like extreme PMS symptoms aren't necessarily normal or having extremely painful periods isn't necessarily normal, right? Like there is an aspect of uncomfortability that can happen, but recognizing what normal might feel like and then being able to use the information and say, you know what, like I might need to go talk to a professional about something having to relating to this uh, menstrual cycle is extremely powerful as well. So kind of being able to recognize what is normal, what is not normal, and how that influences our everyday life. The the hard part is that this is hard, right? This is difficult, and we know that. And we know that this is difficult for doctors. We know that this is difficult for you all, females that are listening to this, maybe males that are listening to understanding a little bit more of how the female cycle works. It's, it's difficult, right? We know that part of it. We're trying to make it sound like it's simple. What we want and why we're bringing this up in a topic and a podcast and why we're doing these seminars is that there, we need to be helping more. We need to have this information out there because nobody else is doing it, mm-hmm. right? So we, we need to take our stance in doing it because this is who we work with primarily at Unity as females. Um, and I, I guarantee you that I've already been diving down this rabbit hole uh, of this as well. We will be doing a testosterone one very soon. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be able to talk more on it. And I'll have Emily on here uh, with me and helping me talk about this too. But we will be doing a testosterone soon because guess what? The population in our gym has grown since COVID has been male population. Yep. We have a lot of males in here and a lot of them are at that age where we start seeing the testosterone drop. So that'll be coming in the near future too. But we, we, we need to discuss this because this is a real thing and it just seems like nobody else really wants to because it is hard. And mm-hmm. And... If you know anybody about anybody knows Emily and I, we are not afraid of hard work. We are not afraid of of, of doing the hard work, uh, which is why we're kind of presenting this here too. Uh, we want to help as many people as we can, and it's easier for us to do this. We've talked about this before in the podcast to do it on a podcast. We can right. reach we can reach more people more easily right. through this platform. So that's why we're having this now, rather than pulling everybody in individually, all hundred of them, right, 80, yeah. 80 of the ladies that we have here, and having this conversation, even though we've already had it with a few. Mm-hmm. And we have more and more stuff coming out. We have more and more stuff that we're going to start doing and enabling. Um, but the big thing is, like, this is what's coming here at Unity and what we're, what we're modifying towards and what we're aiming towards. But this is also something that we can help the world with. So we, we are trying to do that through this as well. Uh, the more professionals that we have on board, the postpartum doctors, the PTs, the women's health advocates, the um, physiotherapists that we use, the Dr. Bo- Erica Bolin out of Cooley Health, the Dr. Jill O'Brien out of O'Brien Physical Therapy, the Marcy Skemp and the Robin Haverill, the Diane Close Dynamic Physiotherapy, and over at Gunderson with Robin. We have ladies in our corner that will do this, the Clara Mitchell who's coming on board as a functional med nutrition doctor. We will have more and more of these uh, professionals and alternative medicines and medicines helping us do this. We are just peeling back the onion right now. And mm. I am super excited to see what's what's in store over the next X amount of months and years uh, from doing this too. 
I just want to get the fire started with this podcast for it. Right, right. Yeah, this is really, truly kind of only the beginning for what's to come. So if you're kind of listening to this and you're like, but I have so many more questions. (laughs) Once again, going to shamelessly plug on the 21st and 28th here at Unity. But don't be afraid if you aren't local to reach out to us with your questions. Um, Like we're happy to kind of cover a little bit more in depth Mm -hmm. on a podcast if possible. Again, a lot of these things... Like, it is helpful to see the graph, to see the menstrual cycle, et cetera. But if there's other topics kind of within this umbrella of a topic that you do have questions on, we're always looking for podcast suggestions um, and and questions to answer and help you. Because if you have the question, someone else probably has the question. They just haven't asked it yet. Or maybe they have and you're number two, in which case we're going to cover it at some point for sure. (laughs) Yeah, and we have, we were alluding to this at the beginning of this episode, maybe we do a Q&A episode in the future. Mm-hmm. We just need more Q&A. We need more Q. More Qs. Right? We have more all Qs. the A's. Um, we've done this in the past, and it went really, 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 really well. So if you send us more Qs, and we'll, we'll start maybe doing a little social media reach out too to see what other ones we can do, and we can just do a full episode. It might even be episode 12. We just do it completely on Q&A. Yeah. And we just kind of talk on certain subjects that you guys ask us. So send them our way. Talk to us. Let us know anything of the sort that we can cover. I think it'd be a fun episode to just completely go random out of the, right, just pull out of the box. Pull, pull a hat. And pull yeah. out of the hat and just go. So that, um, that could be coming here in the near future. Awesome. I think that's all we have. Double digits, and that's the longest podcast to date. It is the longest podcast to date. Thank you guys very much for sticking with us uh, through this long podcast to date. As always, uh, we appreciate you tuning in every week on wherever you listen to this but especially if you're listening on apple podcasts uh mostly just kidding but if you aren't listening on apple podcasts and you want to scoot on over and give a give a download give a listen there we'd greatly appreciate it we're still on the quest to the top 100 uh but getting closer so again thank you guys very much for tuning in with us uh this week and we will catch you uh in the next one we appreciate you guys thank you cheers bye everybody